Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you selling for less. Today, I want to talk to you about a situation that you may find yourself in or may already be in, and that's a situation that you have already kind of made some progress or started taking some action toward your goals. You've figured out what you want to do, but now you need to take account for a couple of things. First of all, how you maintain that balance, how you maintain that balance of taking care of yourself while you're, say, potentially working a full-time job, but also trying to promote a business or taking on two or three pursuits, trying a whole bunch of things. It can be stressful. It can be a lot. And also how you're controlling your mindset because nothing's going to really work that well if you don't have a positive mindset. And there's plenty of people talking quite a bit about how the information you consume into your brain the messages you tell yourself, what you believe about yourself eventually becomes the results of whatever pursuit you're trying to take on. And this is where my guest today, Arliss Dudley Cash and her business Solutions comes into play. Arliss, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's such an honor. Well, thank you so much for joining. And first of all, I want to ask you Solutions, just give us a little overview of what the whole thing is all about. You know, I had a dream and this is the business name that came to me. And really it's the marrying of the business pursuits that we're all looking at. And and it could be in business, but it could be in life. You know, those solutions that we're looking to achieve or those goals that we're looking to achieve and really bringing a soulful approach to that, tapping into our humanness and what we need for the caring and feeding of us as humans on this planet as we go through the process of accomplishing our goals. So do you think that the business world tends to ignore the the human soul, the human needs and focus only on things such as output, things such as numbers and metrics? Absolutely. I think that that is a huge part of our societal structure and a huge part of the way that business is structured. And other professions as well. This is not just in business. It just is in business as well. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of a short-sighted approach to having success in business because the research shows that the more that we look more holistically at what we need as humans to be successful, the more successful we are. Yeah. That makes sense. And you're showing the research. Is this all recent research or would someone 20 years ago have had any reason to be aware of this idea that if we take care of our human needs, our business is also going to be better? So 20 years ago, there was some research out there. Most of the research that is discussed now is very recent, like in the last five to 10 years. But if you are looking for later research, I highly recommend Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn's research. She did biochemical research and she um, won the Nobel Prize in biochemistry. And she showed that our cells are listening to us. So what we Hmm. say in our heads about ourselves or our businesses or about our world, and they actually have a response to what they hear. If they hear something negative, it can impact our telomeres. And if it hears something positive, it can positively impact our telomeres. Now, that doesn't have a specific relation to business, but it does talk about our resiliency as humans to live long and healthy lives, which is what we need to be doing in order to function in our business. So when you talk about living 
you know, long and healthy life, but also a productive life, right? And so could you be saying some things to yourselves, like I am a productive person, I am competent at doing X, Y, Z tasks, I am a person that people are going to like when I try to put myself out there, will that have an impact as well? Absolutely. So the more that we positively speak to ourselves about our efforts or our belief in ourselves or our business, the more likely that we are going to see that in our reality. And One of the reasons why is because we have a pathway in our brain. It's called the frontal striatal pathway. And it has shown that the more positively we are to ourselves, we can actually strengthen that pathway. We can make it stronger, actually thicker and more active. And that's one of the pathways that we use to link to the part of our brain that is important for decision-making, right? So if we make that pathway stronger by being kind to ourselves in the process of doing business, we are more likely to make better decisions in our business. And does this include the talk we get from people around us? Because there's this self-talk and then there's also the environment, such as what content we're consuming, whether we're reading online or reading newspapers or what people we're around, which which one's a bigger impact on ourselves are receiving information, whether it's positive or negative? The environment that we're in and what we're consuming dictates what we normalize right? And so when we are around people that speak negatively about themselves or others, if we consume media that is negative or traumatic in some way to us, if we are in situations that are not supportive, we normalize that. And then that influences our internal environment, right? Because Mm -hmm. what we've normalized in our consumption, we then make part of our internal environment. So it is my belief that we come into this world kind to ourselves, right? And then we normalize this negative interaction that we see. It could be from the adults in our lives or from media or things like that. And that impacts whether we're kind or not to ourselves inside our own minds. Now, here's a random observation that I sometimes make, and I admit to having absolutely no statistical basis behind it. So forgive me if I'm just way out of left field, but sometimes I feel like when I interact with people like little kids, age four, five, six, even seven and eight, they tend to be kind to themselves and kind to each other until the childish, I didn't get what I want, crying thing comes about. But usually the default reaction is that. But then teenagers tend to be quite critical of themselves, critical of each other. There's always this anxiety about who's popular, who's not. What kind of leads to some of that? That feels to me like somewhat where the origin of this, like, I'm not being kind to myself may come from in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And this is just going to be from my observation too. I don't necessarily have a study to cite, although one kind of comes to mind, but I do see that younger children are kinder to themselves and kinder to others. So they're much more likely to be supportive and they're very resilient. So if something negative happens in their world, they bounce back from it. Just like if you see a kid running down a hallway and they fall down, a lot of times they'll pop right back up and keep running. Whereas if I was running down a hallway and fell down, I would not pop up that fast. (laughs) (laughs) So they're definitely more resilient and it doesn't occur to them to make it a problem for themselves because they're in pursuit of whatever they're in pursuit of. I think that as we age and get into our teenage years, 
we're exposed to more of the societal norms, which leads to pressure to meet those societal norms, whether they're realistic or not. And mm-hmm. I think that in that age, we don't have the ability to really evaluate if something is realistic or not. We just see it as what it is. And then we hold ourselves up against that. And typically um, societal norms are actually not very achievable <laughs> yeah. uh, by most people, if any people. And so that creates that negative environment. What we do know is that the more that we normalize something and the more that we believe something is true of us, it alters our perception of reality to be that. So the biggest impactful study that I've read, it was a study done with patients who were suffering from anorexia, extreme anorexia. Mm -hmm. And obviously they were very small individuals at that point because of their disease process. Yeah. But they had told themselves that they were huge and big and fat and all these things for so long that they would literally walk up to doors and turn sideways for fear that they wouldn't fit through the door. Even though they obviously physically could fit through the door, they they had altered their perception of reality so much. And that had become their reality is that they were too big to fit through the door. If people in those circumstances can do it, in that extreme form, obviously we're doing that sort of thing all the time in small ways. And so we just have to be really conscious of it. Yeah. And it reminds me of what people say to themselves, even around like, I'm a likable person or, oh, I'm a terrible person and those types of things. And then that can somehow, I know that there's certain neurodynamics as well as social dynamics around impact it eventually creates your result because you act accordingly. And then when you act accordingly, your result becomes accordingly. The way people respond to you is based on the energy you're given out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more that we are kind to ourselves and outwardly kind to ourselves, the more we influence those around us to be kinder to themselves too. Oh, nice. What do you suggest people do with those people in their lives that are not kind to themselves and they tend to be the same people who are not being kind to others as well? Well, I think it starts as an inside job first, right? So we have to start practicing being kind to ourselves. And this is a little bit harder than most people think it is. I do nuts and bolts of business uh, with some of my clients. And on occasion, I teach a class on self-love because to me, the two are integrated so much. In my classes on self-love, I ask my clients to look at themselves in the mirror and Mm -hmm. to say, I love you. Most people are not capable of even looking at themselves in the eyes in the mirror, let alone saying a nice thing to themselves. I say, if you want to impact the world around you, start with self, get really comfortable being kind to yourself. Notice when you're having a negative thought about yourself or notice when you're saying something negative to other people about yourself and switch it to at least neutral first. Okay. Because going to kind might be a challenge, yeah. right? And we're and it's okay. We can at least start to notice and switch it to neutral. If you're to the place where you're pretty kind to yourself and you're still around people that aren't kind to themselves or other people, then it's time to start working on boundaries um, around what you're willing to accept and will support you in your life. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that when it comes to any of our pursuits, whether it be business or just, you know, jobs, regular career, 
we need to be kind to ourselves first before we expect the outward. Like the order of operations is definitely work on yourself, work on your own self-talk, work on your environment and how that impacts your own self-talk. And then go out there and do your business and work on how you're acting, how you're promoting your business and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think they work hand in hand. You know, our businesses can be really great tools to help us uh, be kind to ourselves, right? So when you accomplish a goal in your business and you choose to celebrate it, you are doing two things. One, you are strengthening that frontal striatal pathway. You're strengthening your self-esteem and your Mm -hmm. belief in yourself. But two, you're also increasing your motivation in your business because you are giving yourself your brain that reward for doing the work. So we can work on being kinder to ourselves and our business simultaneously, and they're mutually beneficial. It could be parallel processes as opposed to you need to do all this self-work and then work on how you're presenting yourself outwardly. Absolutely. And I think it actually works best as a parallel process because it allows people to really feel into being authentic in their business and what that looks like as they're going through the process. And do you think that people who are kinder to themselves are naturally kinder to others? Does it naturally flow about in that direction or are they two separate processes as well? It absolutely flows in that direction. So Dr. Kristen Neff has done a lot of uh, research on self-compassion and compassion. And she shows in her research that people that work on their self-compassion naturally become more compassionate to others and more empathetic towards others. Self-kindness is one of the three aspects to growing self-compassion. And so as we become kinder to ourselves, we are naturally becoming kinder to others. And if someone's trying to be kinder to themselves and there's some environmental factors, what do you think would be the three worst environmental factors that people encounter today? Because there are a lot of people who are, as you talk about the norms and the pressure, not kind to themselves. I would say negative social media. So social media that is causing people to compare themselves or change themselves in a way that's not a healthy direction for them or is just negative in general, you know, social media that's cutting people down or using negative motivation or is using dark humor or things like that. So I think that that's number one. Number two, I would say is like TV shows and movies that do the same thing. Right. So I know what it feels like if I end up in a movie that is really negative and how I feel about my life or myself or just the world in general after I'm leaving that movie versus attending a movie that's really uplifting and positive and supportive. And we have to know what that is for ourselves. It may not be the same for each person. Right. So I might say, Hey, I'm not going to watch the movie Inception. Right. Because of some negativities that happen within me because of my experience in this life, not because of the actual movie, right? I am going to choose to watch Eat, Pray, Love. Like that's a positive, supportive movie for me. Now, somebody might watch the movie Eat, Pray, Love and feel like it's negative for them. And that's great. We have to know individually what's work, what works for us. And then I think that the third one is like the closest people to us. And this brings in the boundaries part. So boundaries are not about impacting the way that other people act. It's really about 
being clear about what's okay as far as behavior around us as individuals. And so, you know, if we have people in our lives that are actively cutting us down, being negative towards us, judging us, you know, those types of things, it might be time to either evaluate Do I want to go through the process of trying to set boundaries with this person and see if they're able to uphold my boundaries? Or is it time to uninvite them to the party of my life? Yeah, or switch what the relationship looks like. Yes, or switch what the relationship looks like and create some change in that way. Yeah, I have an interesting story a little bit with some of those, um, especially some TV shows and movies that before I started on some of this self-talk, self-love journey, I did self-love seminar myself, I think a year and a half ago, maybe even closer to two years ago. And then I've kind of been somewhat on that journey for several years, even before that, before starting this podcast, which probably would not have happened if it weren't for that. And what I've noticed is that some of the same shows or movies that say 10, 15 years ago, I would have loved and eaten up. I suddenly realized, wait a second, this movie is like, just making light about something about society that's just really destructive. And I just don't like it anymore. Absolutely. And I think that that's one thing that we kind of have to realize too, is our brain trains us to believe that the way that we feel or the things that we believe or the experience of our life is going to be the same from this moment on, whatever this moment is. Okay. So our brain is not trained to think about the fact that we are going to change as people, that we may change in our belief systems. We may change in the way that we see the world. We may change in um, how we operate in the world. The truth is, is that we are not the same people that we were a week ago, a month ago, two years ago, 10 years ago. We have changed in some way. And that might be really positive change that we feel good about, or it might be not so positive change. And maybe we want to change back. Who knows, right? When we are looking at things from some period of time ago, and if we're going on a self-love journey or a journey of being kind to ourselves, we may have different interactions with music, social media, movies, TV, plays, all of that sort of thing, because we're looking at life through a different lens than we had then. And so the simplified version of the statement that people often make is the phrase thought creates form. The idea that what's going to happen in your life is going to be an artifact of of what you're thinking about. And if you think you're going to fail, likely you're going to fail because you're going to find ways to validate that. And if you think you're succeeding, you're likely more likely to succeed. Do you generally subscribe to that or... Absolutely. Our brain is looking for evidence to support the beliefs that we have. Um, So if we want a different outcome in our lives or businesses, we have to choose to believe that a different outcome is possible. And that can be a big stretch for people. I do believe that as we believe we are experiencing in our lives. And science proves this. I mean, like the study that I talked about with the anorexia patients walking up the doors and turning sideways to fit through the doors because they feel like they're so massive, they couldn't possibly fit. That is a direct response to believing something and then having that be their reality, right? I think that we all have to be really mindful of what we are choosing to believe and whether or not, we are conscious of it, it is a choice. Just to think about the idea that someone who's probably skinnier than 95% of all people out there, but really believes that and therefore 
she's living that life that's not really reflective of what people are seeing or not even reflecting of what other potential options even are. Absolutely. But I experience this in business owners all the time. Okay. So I have business owners that come to me and they're like, my business is wildly successful. It's so organized. Everything's working really well. And then I find out that they, you know, haven't hit their sales goals in six months and they haven't been able to pay themselves in over a year and things like that. And then I have people that come to me and they're like, oh, this is a terrible business. I want to walk away. I want it to be done. And and then I show them, I'm like, actually, it's really successful. (laughs) You're doing a great job. (laughs) You're killing it. Like, let's just change a few things and have you work on being supportive of yourself and you'll feel differently about your business. So we just have to realize that we could be altering our version of reality on both sides of the spectrum and really getting real with ourselves about what's going on and being kind with ourselves through that process, whether we discover that things are going really well or they're not, you know, being kind and compassionate to ourselves gives us the resiliency to move forward. So you talk about two scenarios, one where your self-belief is way lower than where things are. Things are going way better than that. And it sounds like the response to that is kind of the self-talk and self-love. But what about the people who believe they're doing really well and then you find out that things are not going as well as they thought? And I think this can apply to business, relationships, your own fitness, your health, your mental health, anything else as well. It's still self-love and self-compassion. Typically, people are on that side of the spectrum because they so want to look successful. They so want to be successful based on societal norms or based on, you know, other people's view of them. And it's still going to be a process of loving themselves through the realization that something needs to shift or change or that things are not as they thought it was. I've been on both sides of the spectrum in my business before, right? I think most people have where I just want to believe things are going so well because I've been, I've put in so much effort that it has to be right. Instead of looking at the reality that, Hey, no, like this might be going well, but this other aspect of my business is challenged and I need to do the work to make this better or bring somebody in for help or do something differently. Loving myself through that process is actually far harder than when we find out that things are going better than we thought they were. Yeah, that sounds like a much bigger challenge. And I can imagine when talking about all those different dimensions of life, whether it be your business, your relationships, your, you know, whatever financial situation, your mental, your physical health, we're all going to experience at some point in our lives on one of those dimensions, a situation where we realize, hey, you know, this problem is a much bigger problem than I thought. Well, I'm in a much worse state. I have much more work to do than I thought I needed to do in order to feel better, be in a better spot. And so that's going to be one of the more challenging times in life, probably. Absolutely. And unfortunately, most people set goals that are completely unrealistic, which leads them to feeling like they ultimately fail when they have actually made a lot of progress. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that we can do to be more realistic about where we are in our business or lives is go through the process of seeing if we're setting realistic goals to begin with. I'm guessing that's something that you experience a lot with your clients is first of all, whether or not someone is in a situation, I think a lot of people end up finding themselves in where they set unrealistic goals, but they think that those goals are like what they need to do in order to even feel some sort of like self-worth valuable type of person. 
Absolutely. And the truth is, is that we're worthy whether we do anything or not, because we're humans. Um, Human beings are worthy of love and respect and kindness, whether they are successful in business or life or not. We don't have to prove our worthiness as humans. We are worthy. And how much of it is also people asserting their own definition of success? Because we have this prevailing societal narrative that success means X, Y, Z, you know, get your advanced degree, get the good job, move up a couple steps, get the raise, get the house with the 2.6 kids and 1.7 dogs and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for us to all think about like, what would success look like for us individually? What is our ultimate goal? And this can be a really huge guiding light for each one of us. I've thought a lot about this in my own life. My ultimate goal is to be contributing to a world where gentleness, kindness, and authenticity become the norm. So I use that as my guiding light. And when I have opportunities or different things that come up as options, I hold that up to my overall goal. And if it aligns with that overall goal, then it becomes a possible yes. If it doesn't align to that goal, then it's an easy no. I do want to touch on, first of all, your story yourself, like what inspired you to start Solutions. And I hope I'm not overemphasizing the the two L's there, but (laughs) as I'm saying it, but yeah, like what, what's your background? What, what inspired you to do this and what motivation brought you to want to have this particular impact? I was the baby of the family and I had a lot of expectation on me. Now I, I know that they were doing it from a place of love, right? They wanted the best for me. I don't think it was malicious at all. And I knew from like the age of six that I was going to be a doctor, lawyer, you know, dentist someday, right? Mm -hmm. And so going to college and getting an upper level degree was required of me. I went through undergraduate in forensic science. I then got a job as a deputy coroner and realized that my pigtails and pink scrubs were probably not a great uh, fit for death investigation, let alone my bright, shiny personality. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I thought that I would always be in sciences. So I entered a PhD program in neuroscience at the University of Iowa and three and a half years into it, my health rapidly declined and I was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition. And I was told that I probably only had a year to live and that I should leave the program and I should go to live with my parents. And that's what I did. So I went and I lived with my parents in Hawaii and I decided not to give up. And I had some really great doctors. I had a couple of major surgeries and I realized while I was going through this process that genetic condition that I was diagnosed with is not a terminal condition, but I had literally almost overworked myself to death trying to meet the societal expectation of, you know, and I was working 90 hours a week and playing on softball teams and I had gotten married and like all of these things that I thought was expected of me. And I had run my health into the ground. And I realized in that moment that not only did I have to work to fix the health side of things, I had to start being kinder and gentler to myself or I wasn't going to survive, right? Because even if I did fix the health part, I would just be running myself into the ground again as soon as I could if I didn't fix that part too. And so if I wanted to have a life, I had to figure out a different way to do it. 
and practicing self-love and self-compassion and kindness and gentleness was really my only option to continue to have a full life. And it's something that I still work on every single day. I kind of tripped into business. You know, I had uh, an accidental business in jewelry design. (laughs) And then I got hired into a a corporate company and was a director of operations for a couple of years. And then after that, I created solutions because I saw business owners around me falling for hustle culture, you know, falling for that message that they had to do more and do more and do more and do more and seeing them taken out of the game. You know, most of the time when I see business owners taken out of the game, it's either because of their physical health or their mental health. It's not because their business is unsuccessful. Um, Very rarely have I seen that. And so I wanted to support business owners being able to be successful in their business have the lifestyle that they're looking to have while also taking care of themselves along the way. Yeah, I believe the Japanese actually have a term. I don't remember what it is. You might, you're a little closer in Hawaii. That literally means someone worked themselves to death. Yeah, I I don't know the term either, but yeah, absolutely. And that's what I, I almost did. And I don't want that to happen to anybody else. People like to look at problems and they like to point the finger elsewhere. And I think what some Americans do is they'll say, oh, Japan has that problem. That's an over there problem. Is that a problem that like is more common in some of our, especially some of our maybe big city hustle cultures than we realize? Oh, absolutely. Um, And it's not just business owners. It's people in corporate jobs, too. And a big part of that is just ignoring our bodies altogether. Right. So not eating throughout the day, you know, not drinking enough water, not using the restroom. I mean, like I'm talking about basics (laughs) of, um, you know, I, I ask my clients, like, what are the basics for the care and feeding of our list, right? Like what are the basics (laughs) for the care and feeding? Like what needs to be happening in order for you to actually take care of yourself so that you don't end up having a health crash because your immune system shot, or you end up with diabetes because you're eating huge meals at night, but not the rest of the day or whatever it is. Like, how do you take care of yourself to keep yourself in the game of life? And then once you figure that out, make it non-negotiable with yourself. So like one of the things that I commonly do, despite all my pursuits is I'll go for bike rides in the middle of the day. I love that for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, it's physical exercise. You get some sun. People talk a lot about social media and internet addiction. Well, when your hands are on those handlebars, you can't pick up your phone. You can't put random bits of information into your brain for no reason. And most of it is like you have no control over it. And it does tend to be like negative divisive more often than positive. And so you're saying that if someone discovers something along those lines in their lives, like this thing really makes me a better person, whether it be cooking a nice meal, which helps you be healthier. I'm talking like a little bit more advanced than just like you have to eat. Someone's saying, well, well, I'm actually going to cook a meal. I'm going to cut up vegetables. I'm going to boil some pasta. I'm you know, going to do something awesome like that, that you make a couple things like that non-negotiable that help, whether it be your physical or your mental health. In the morning, I meditate and I do Pilates. And in the afternoon, most afternoons, I go swimming. When I'm in a pool, I can't look at my phone. I wear a smartwatch uh, because I like to track my physical 
exercise yeah. to make sure that I'm hitting my goal in order to keep my body strong because I have such a sedentary life, you know, being a coach and consultant, I'm on the computer a lot, but I don't actually have any of my notifications going to my watch ever because it doesn't support me letting go of that, letting go of work and letting go of those um, different things that are coming in when I'm swimming or when I'm spending time with my partner or when I'm at dinner with friends, I can still wear my watch and I'm not distracted. I know that we often get smart watches so that we can have those notifications on the go. One of the things that I talk to my clients about is if you really need notifications during certain times, set it to take notifications during certain times and then have it turn off. Um, so that when you're not on work time, you actually have a break. Yeah. And you're not doing a whole different type of work with some people have even compared people maintaining their Instagram profiles to like just another type of work that now you're doing. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that a lot of people, myself included on occasion, kind of trick ourselves into is saying, well, if I'm looking on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever it is, I'm either taking downtime or I'm doing research. And unfortunately, that those are both myths. It's not research. If you really wanted to do research on how to promote your business, you you could do research in a lot of other ways that would help you far more than looking at other people's Instagrams or TikToks. It's not downtime for your brain. Um, It is work time for your brain, whether you feel like it is or not. Um, If you really want to take some downtime, we need to unplug. So now I'm originally from New York. So I have some struggles with unplugging, and I'm sure a lot of people have that situation as well. What does giving your brain downtime really look like? And what do we, some of us that have that so ingrained in our heads, need to do to feel comfortable with the idea of just giving our mind some some downtime? Well, I think that we should start small. And this is true for everything. You know, if you're looking to do something new in your life, whether it's be kinder to yourself or unplug, start small. Start with something that doesn't feel terrifying. Start with something that you can be consistent with. Consistency is more impactful, being successful and achieving a goal than doing something huge and then wanting to have anything to do with it for like a month. So, you know, I tell my clients, hey, set a two minute alarm and go look out a window. Yeah. You know, like start small, start with something that's achievable that feels comfortable for you. And then it can be bigger later. Yeah, because you can't like go from like zero to a hundred right away with respect to anything. You know, just suddenly flip a switch and suddenly I'm going to be a different person um, because habits they're hard to break and there's this like kind of mental training almost that we have upon ourselves. Yeah. So if you're somebody that's plugged in all the time and you want to start practicing being unplugged, set a two minute alarm, sit and breathe and count your breaths, or look out the window. Spend some time outside walking or biking or swimming. Use some kind of meditation that you want to do. Now, I think that turning on a little ambient noise can help our brain get a little bit more comfortable with fully unplugging without being fully unplugged and still allow us to have some of that downtime. And similarly, like some of those meditation apps like Headspace, where, you know, obviously you have like a guide through the app that's going through the experience as opposed to like the pure meditation where you're just sitting there can also be a good transition. 
Absolutely. You know, research shows that it just takes two minutes of doing mindfulness meditation or mindfulness practice, which is just being aware in the present moment without judgment uh, to have the full physiological effect. So listening to something like Headspace or Calm or Insight Timer or looking out the window or using classical music in the background while you close your eyes for a period of time, all of that are really great first options. And so one last thing I really want to cover here is where are societies headed, where the trends are, because I know you're hoping to have an impact, help people be more gracious in themselves, prevent people from working themselves to death. And I'm sure someone out there will let me know what that Japanese term is. Do you see anything, um, any corner being turned with regards to what people refer to as hustle culture? I do. You know, one thing that I love about the time that we're living in is that research is kind of catching up to these concepts and being able to actually see how it impacts us physiologically when we practice self-kindness or compassion or take a break in the day or things like that. Research is also showing us the direct impact on the bottom line when we do these things. Um, and because research is coming out in this area and more and more focus is going on this area, it's pretty hard to ignore. <laughs> um, so I do see this shift happening. I would love for it to see it, it happening faster and things take time. Yeah. Um, and so I do see us going in this direction. And I think that it's really an exciting time. And I can't wait to see where we are in like 20, 30 years. Now, I know that there are some people that are worried that we're going to take it a little bit too far. And I'm not going to comment on where that worry comes from. Maybe some people really liked the what I call the old school work culture, where people would get there religiously at eight every morning and be worried if they leave before five and stay late to make sure they don't get fired. And you know, obviously, I, I really hope that's over because that was so counterproductive. Um, but is there a danger of going too far to the other extreme away from hustle culture where people are just not doing anything that's meaningful? I don't want to use the word lazy, but you know what I mean? They're 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 being like non-motivated. It's going to get worse for a while, going through a period of time where people are so burned out that now that they are having the option to do less, they just want to do nothing. I think that that is a response to how negative the environment has been for them or how hard they have worked themselves for so long. And I think it should be expected. Okay. So just like when somebody runs a marathon, they then have some period of time where they have to recoup and they don't run or yep. they run very little in order to then work back up to running a marathon. Now we are trying to move a culture that was telling everybody that running a marathon was absolutely required. In fact, it was an ultra marathon. Yeah. And now we're trying to get people to be like, actually, it's better if everyone consistently runs a 10K because then you don't have to recover. You could run a 10K every day, like if you train well enough and not really feel much effect and be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're going to go through a period of time where people aren't going to want to do anything. And we're already experiencing that. We see it in the news headlines and we see, I see it in my clients. People don't want to do anything. Right. I think that that's a normal response to this transition that we're seeing. What I am seeing though, is that when I'm working with people and they're starting to care for themselves more and they're starting to 
you know, be kinder to themselves and practice self-compassion, they are going to a place where they feel inspired and passionate again in their lives to be doing things that are worthwhile. And Hmm. that's exciting. And I think that eventually our society will get there. So you're saying is that when people observe someone that's really not doing anything and whatever version of it it is, it's really probably just a response because, I mean, some people have been in that culture for 20, 30, even 40 years and so internalized ideas that it's kind of weird even to think about um, the world that I first entered the workforce in back in uh, 2007, 2008, that that was considered normal and now realizing 15 years from now that that was actually a really toxic set of expectations that were normalized at the time. And that was like the tail end of like 30 years of that. Yeah. And we have examples of where companies have released a lot of this toxic culture and created a new type of culture for their business, like Google, for instance. I'm not saying that they're the hallmark for this, but they were definitely on the forefront of making this change. And it's not like Google has collapsed. It's not as though their employees just aren't doing anything. It's not like they're not productive and not successful and not profitable. In fact, the more that they've released this toxicity and the bigger the changes that they've made, the more successful they've become. So I do think that there is going to be that burnout period for a lot of people where they're just like, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with anything for a while. Um, And I think it's normal, but I think that the more that people are able to take care of themselves and are in a positive culture, the more inspired they will be to give back because as humans, that's just typically who we are. Maybe the people who respond to changes don't necessarily think that they were necessary, but the experience of some of these people and, you know, you know, it firsthand, you know, when you overcame that, when you, when your body finally told you it's time to stop working yourself to death, pretty much. Uh, Did you have a period where you had to just take it easy for a few months or even a year? I was pretty challenged for about three years. Yeah. And I had a lot of medical stuff going on too, but I was pretty challenged for about three years. I think that one of the things that we kind of have to work on individually too is just because we were treated some way or just because we had specific expectations of us as we were growing up or as we were entering the workforce or things like that does not mean that we have to perpetuate that toxicity. Uh, We could choose something different. We can choose to treat other people better than we were treated. Well, it's kind of weird because you do see that sometimes with the whole like I had to endure 10 years of fetching coffee for people just because they're higher up. And so you think you can come in and just get there right away. Well, you know, yeah, maybe we are, maybe we are moving to a better world. And that's a, that's a hopeful sign. That's something that I'm really hopeful about too, because, you know, we got to take care of ourselves too. I think we've um, for a long time seen the decline in the American community. That's been really detrimental to mental health as well. Um, Because like, we don't necessarily make time for just, you know, some of the most important human experiences I believe are just friends sharing experiences together or community sharing experiences together, even if you're all just going to say ride on a boat for a few hours or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, Arliss, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, sharing the the real depths of your story, as well as the real depths of some other stories that you're referencing here, because these are all 
real meaningful human experiences where people, you know, really are suffering from some of these perceptions that we have about ourselves, whether it be like, you have to be this skinny, or you have to work this many hours, you have to achieve this particular milestone in order to really be a worthwhile human being. And I love everything you're doing for all your clients, as well as trying to have a general societal impact in all these moves that we are needing to make toward self-love is the kind of broad term we can say to describe all of it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Such an honor. And I'm really grateful for what you're doing in the world. Well, thank you so much. I'm really appreciative. And I'm also really appreciative of everyone out there listening today. And uh, just so you know, this is my 99th episode. And so the next episode that comes out, number 100, is going to be a little bit of a switcheroo because for episode 100, I'm going to have one of my previous podcast guests interview me about my pursuits, uh, how I started this, as well as uh, my more recent endeavors. So I encourage you to tune back in or check back in some of these other older episodes because we have so many amazing people like this in the world. And the more amazing people like this that we see that are doing what we need to do to create a more rich human experience where we believe in ourselves, the more we can really look forward and believe in the future. And part of that is stepping away from that doom and gloom social media stuff that we were talking about and the news too. But yeah, 